welcome to the Light Reading Podcast. I'm Phil Harvey. I'm an editor here at Light Reading, and joining me on the podcast today is my fellow editor, Kelsey Zeiser. Hello, Kelsey. Hello, Phil. What's new? How's things? Jinx. <laughs> 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 yeah, exactly. <laughs> What's new? Well, uh, it, it, at the time we're recording this, Texas can't figure out if it's fall or, or summer still. It just keeps jumping back and forth. And it's, uh, it's confusing because, of course, I can't put anything. I can't put any clothes away. I don't know what to wear to work anymore. Oh, I, I know what to wear to work. I wear right. a T-shirt. But, you know, what do I wear over the T-shirt? Yeah. How many T-shirts and all that stuff? It's all very confusing. <laughs> yeah. Same thing here in North Carolina. It's, is it sweater weather? Is it summer? It's confusing. Some people are just really stubborn about it, and they're like, "It's fall. I'm going to wear sweaters regardless." <laughs> right? Yeah, I know. That's a, right. the, 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 that makes it uh, uh, when you just make up your mind and do you know and go that route. I guess it makes it a little easier. Um, yeah, I always just look forward to that time of year when I can wear my sweatshirt that says Harvard Law. Just kidding on it. <laughs> <laughs> Somehow that's very appropriate. I don't like reading uh, editor's uh, <laughs> uh, wardrobe. Um, well, uh, speaking of sweaters, um, and I do have a, I do have a segue here. Um, uh, so coming up on the podcast today, our guest is uh, Matthias Friedstrom, uh, the uh, vice president and chief evangelist at Telia Carrier. He was connecting to us uh, from Sweden, where Telia Carrier is based. Um, we know this because we saw him on video conference and he was wearing a sweater. That's how it all ties together. I feel so, I'm so proud of that. I, I didn't even, didn't even rehearse that. Amazing. <laughs> um, he, he, we, uh, we, we didn't just talk about sweaters though. Um, uh, in fact, I don't think we talked about them at all, Aww. which makes this intro kind of weird. Um, but, yeah, we, uh, what, we missed the boat on that one. <laughs> yes, right. We didn't. We, we, we don't usually get into our uh, uh, our podcast guest wardrobe, but yeah. uh, uh, every time we talk to Matthias, um, it is usually about how the internet is expanding, how it's behaving differently. Um, you know what what our our habits and our activities and our traffic means for the global network providers around the world. And of course, Telia Carrier can uh, tell us all about that because they're one of the largest wholesale and global backbones in the world. Um, and uh, oh, it sounds like Finley is is has invaded your office. <laughs> Sorry, I tried to, to That's okay. my side, but uh, we just got a package delivery, and he Excellent. wanted to let me know. Oh, that's good. No, that's even better than the doorbell. Is yeah. a a nice little. Uh, a puppy uh, barking excitedly and growling at you at the same time. <laughs> and running up and down the hallway. <laughs> Delivery! <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. All right. Well, we will, uh, uh, that's a good place to leave it. Uh, we talked, uh, you know, because actually this, the, again, this ties in because the last part of our conversation with Mateus talks about, um, you know, how things have changed in the pandemic. Obviously, everybody working from home all the time and having mm -hmm. to deal with, uh, you know, kids and animals and things coming, coming and going is part of the pandemic, but the traffic and the network and how we use the network has also changed things as well. So mm -hmm. um, we will get into all of that and goodness, go get your package. Um, <laughs> anyway, we'll get into all of that coming up right after this. This episode is brought to you by Avast, global leaders in digital security for network operators. They can build a safer digital world for your customers and their families. Discover more at avast.com slash partners. That's A-V-A-S-T 
com slash partners. Welcome to the Light Reading Podcast, Matthias Friedstrom from Telia Carrier. Hi, Matthias. How are you? Hello, Phil. I'm fine. Thanks for joining us. I do appreciate it. Um, it's uh, uh, the I think the last time we uh, had a chance to talk, we were actually in person somewhere. Uh, it was yeah. either uh, it was either at a trade show yeah, or uh, you came to Fort Worth at one yeah. point. Yeah, uh, you're right. I don't know if your plane broke down or something, but somehow you were in Fort Worth. <laughs> um, let's see. So I, uh, I guess I, I've got a bunch of questions. I mean, Telia Carrier is obviously one of the, the largest global backbone networks in the world. Um, Kelsey, you have, uh, you, you want to maybe start there. What's, what's, uh, what, what's on your mind? Well, I'll, I'll give you first, uh, first stab at this. Thanks, Phil. Uh, well, Matthias, I know you all have announced some recent expansion. So can you tell us a little bit about how big Telecarriage Network has become worldwide? No, I mean, yeah, you're right. Um, I think in terms of the size of the backbone, I think what we always want to do is add more route miles to the network. Uh, everything we do in, in North America and Europe is based on fiber. So we just need to grow our network in terms of more kilometers or miles of fibers. That's that's the the most important thing for us. You know, adding capacity on top of that is easy once you have the fibers. And I would say we've spent quite a lot of time in North America trying to find underlying fiber providers who are prepared to sell fibers, you know. Uh, there is a few companies in the U.S. that have actually collected a lot of fibers from purchasing companies around. So it's not simple anymore to get fibers in in, in U.S. as it is in Europe. Uh, the competition in Europe is really fierce and there are many routes on every corner of Europe and you can always find someone who will sell you a fiber. So what we've done in the U.S. is it's actually gone around and, and asked a lot of regional providers, a lot of electricity, energy companies, you know, would you have some spare parts somewhere or some fiber somewhere? And then practically stitch the fibers together uh, by, you know, digging a few yards here and there to, to form a completely new network, which obviously is very unique and nice because no one else can have it. But at the same time, you know, the underlying operation and maintenance, because it's quite cumbersome when you have five, six, seven different owners between two cities where you've just built a new fiber route. But that's been very successful. I think we've completed three out of five routes right now, and we're looking into more. Uh, so, so that's a very good way for us to expanding our footprint in the U.S. That's an interesting, uh, just to follow up on that, an interesting, uh, I don't know if that's a U.S. specific thing. It sounds like it is, but uh, for, for folks who don't know, the, you know the, the utility companies in the United States pretty much have their own self-contained telco networks or private networks you know they've been private network providers from way back and they pretty much just get the fiber to their location and the bandwidth supplied and then they don't really rely on the carrier for for hardly anything else i think right no exactly you know they they built there for their own purpose and i think they realized a number of years ago that you know building some more fibers is practically good you know both for their own purpose but also for selling fibers and, and for them, you know, they could care less about the competition in the telecom markets. You know, they sell to whoever right. um, if they get some money back for that, you know, perfect. Uh, so I think working with them is fairly simple. You know, there's there's no hard feelings when we buy from them. Yeah, it's interesting because the U.S., the the utilities also, this may be a U.S. thing or, or at least in a lot of states are completely deregulated. So they are free to sell their capacity to whomever. And there's also markets where I'm sure you've seen this, where there's like, 
there might be one or two electricity providers. And then there might also be like one service company and like 50 providers, you know, <laughs> that are all um, competing in that market. So it's a, um, it's kind of, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting to hear a company have to navigate that from the outside. Um, how, how, uh, uh, I, I guess, what is your current expansion in the Americas looking like, you know, both in North and, uh, you know, in, in, uh, in Canada, the U S and Mexico, how, how is that all, um, uh, working out and what are the plans in terms of, uh, you know, would, yeah. how big it's going to get? I would say, I would say the big thing we need to do is to have more routes east to west. I mm -hmm. think, you know, we're really well covered on the east coast and, and further inland from the east and, and all really well covered on the west coast. But I think what lacks everywhere in the U.S. is this west coast, the east coast fibers, you know, trying to find, typically everyone have the northern and the southern route and, and most networks look very similar. So I think that's where we are really trying to find ways of, of connecting, you know, the Ashburn region with the Los Angeles region and the San Francisco region. Mm. Uh, it's a bit of a struggle. You have to pass through places where there aren't that many fibers, but as, as I said, you know, stitching networks together is the way to do it. Yeah, it makes sense. And you all also recently launched um, your first SD-WAN service. Uh, how's that going? And um, how is your approach to SD-WAN maybe different from some of your competitors? Uh, no, I think it, it really goes well. I don't think we have a very different approach really, but I think we're more like, you know, we're very interested in the connectivity part for enterprise customers, not much into running their applications or other stuff. So I think our focus is really on, you know, whether they want to do the SD-WAN solution themselves and run the connectivity on top of us or or ask us to run the sort of CPEs and everything for them. I think that's the sweet spot for us. The, mm -hmm. the companies that have, you know, a 30, 40 locations in the US, that's the same amount in Europe, some in Asia, you know, those are the sweet spots for us. Uh, transporting large chunk of traffic long distances, that's us. And, and if we can add some CPEs on top of that to sort of help them control their traffic and help them navigate their traffic, that's that's better. So uh, obviously, you know, us, 65% of the public internet is below our network. So of course, when they say, you know, we want to connect locally to someone in Florida, that's perfect. But we, we can help them navigate, you know, the ISPs in Florida, this one is better than that one, that one is better mm -hmm. connected than that one. So I think that's where our knowledge comes in and how we can guide the enterprise customers in the SD-WAN world. In terms of the functionality of the product itself, we have it. Everyone else have it, you know. Yeah, that that. Thanks for clearing that up because it it was always kind of a mystery to me. I was like, why are they getting into the application side? Like, and, and it sounds like it's really just a means to an end. It's something else to, um, uh, I guess, sweeten the connectivity that you're providing the enterprise as kind of a convenience to them. So you're not really involved in getting into, like you know, the development of what happens after that demarcation point. It's really just about connecting to them and then providing SD-WAN as a, as a, as a service if they want it. Yeah. Okay. Got it. Um, um, what, what company are, are you guys working with on the SD-WAN side? Um, do you, do you have a, is it somebody you're reselling through? Uh, not really reselling through. We, we do have a reseller program in the U.S. Absolutely, we do that. But I think we are trying to resell the Cisco Viptela solution. That's the one we started with. You know, okay. Us, us coming completely brand new into the enterprise world in the U.S. especially, if we would come with a 
sort of hardly known vendor in the SD-WAN space as well. It would be two unknown companies coming in and we would have a struggle to explain who we are. When we come with Cisco, then at least they know one of the companies. And then when we can explain that, you know, we're probably the largest IP backbone in the world together with the Cisco solution, then that becomes an attractive solution to enterprise customers. And we don't really need to explain more to customers. So I think, yeah. you know, we went with a safe choice by selecting Cisco to start with. Yeah, that makes, that makes a lot of sense. Definitely the uh, recognition of Cisco is probably um, an advantage um, in in getting in the door uh, with your customers. And um, cool. So. All right, let's uh, let's move on to talk about uh, you know kind of our uh, maybe our last topic for today is to talk about the pandemic and how um, and what the what the response has been. I mean, I, I guess you know you guys have a, a a vantage point where you're you're getting to see how connectivity is changing pretty much in real time. Um, what what's changed so far in the network, uh, you know, since the pandemic started and uh, and what has that meant for, you know, Telia Carrier as a backbone provider? Yeah, no, you're right. There has been new changes. And obviously the first three weeks of March was the biggest growth I've ever seen in my entire career here in, in telecoms. You know, we saw a 35% wow. growth in three weeks, which is absolute madness. Yeah. Uh, almost a 50% growth until the end of May. Uh, obviously, a lot of traffic that we could see earlier in the days that we haven't seen before, you know, the peak of the traffic started already before lunch, which never really happens. You know, the peak is always in the sort of late evening or early evening when people come home from work and start to stream services. And so now we had a constant flow of traffic over the day. Luckily enough, you know, backbone networks are designed for the peak traffic. So it's not a problem when you have too much traffic before lunch, but the problem becomes because every outage becomes very big. And suddenly you, there is no time during the 24 hour of the day when you can do planned works because, you know, your network have to be up and running all the time. So that was a huge difference from running networks. You know, there are no calm hours when you can do stuff to, to change, you know, or install new stuff. You, you have to constantly be up and running and add more capacity along the way. So I would say that that, that was really a struggle. Uh, from our point of view, you know, as a carrier, who live on charging customers for traffic usage, of course, more traffic is fantastic. And then from that point of view, we had some fantastic month in March, April, and May in, in terms of growth of traffic for our customers. At the same time, you know, we run a lot of roaming services in the group. And when people don't travel anymore, there is no roaming anymore. So we right. lost 85% of the roaming revenues over the week, basically through a week. Uh, and that is, of course, a big chunk of our revenue and, and profit that we lost. So overall, I think we've done okay. Uh, we've seen a tremendous traffic growth in terms of video conference equipment. You know, some of them grown even more than 400%. Wow. Uh, and the funny thing, you know, some of them came to us early in March, said, you know, can we have another 10 gig port in the network? And then two days later, they came and said, you know, skip that first order. You know, we need four times 100 and we need it now. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Uh, and I, <laughs> I think that was something we've never really seen from them before. And, and obviously that traffic wasn't seen before. And now we actually follow that traffic in the network to make sure it's up and running because that's really critical for everyone. Yeah, you definitely have some interesting um, graphs about the changes in traffic patterns um, on the website. There was a recent blog by Johan on that. Um, what's the impact of um, 
you know, the, the rise in certain applications. What do all these, um, you know, applications that typically people were accessing um, maybe in the enterprise branch that now they're accessing at home in addition um, to trying to connect to corporate data, does, what does that mean for the network? It really, the good thing is this traffic follows the same patterns as everything else. And, and we were already big on gaming. So, yeah, we, we were already prepared for that. Probably not as prepared as we could have been, but I don't think anyone could be prepared for this. But, of course, the gaming traffic exploded. And I followed the graph to see, you know, how much traffic are we sending to Riot Games and and these companies in, in on the west coast of U.S. And, and that's just enormous. Uh, and I've also seen a lot of trends, you know, yeah, people tried to move stuff into the cloud before the pandemic, but I think that I saw the Q2, Q3 numbers on our side for how much traffic we're sending to the cloud compared to Q1 this year. And that's just enormous. That growth is just crazy, you know. I think a lot of companies started to feel, you know, yeah, we probably shouldn't have the servers in the basement of our headquarters. We should probably have them in the cloud. <laughs> right. And I think yeah. that, that trend just kicked off and it's just ballooning right now. Oh, that's a Which good again thing. is good for a company that lives on traffic growth. Right. Yeah, that's an interesting one. I didn't think about that as much, but yeah, just about, I guess, businesses of all sizes at the exact same time had that realization of, you know, if they were put an application or a service or a, or a data set in the cloud, and maybe they had been arguing about whether or not it was secure or whether or not certain people needed to access it. And now they just, you know, they, I guess they had their hands forced and they didn't really have a choice at that point. No, exactly. Um, how does that change your, you know, I mean, the, you know, the, you know, Mateus uh, speaks at a bunch of uh, conferences, usually in, in the role of someone who's talking about how the, how the network is going to evolve next. Um, how do you sort of, uh, have you changed your views on what the network's going to look like based on what's happened in the pandemic? Um, or has, has that just sort of solidified your view of like uh, how things have to become more software defined and, and more automated and that sort of thing? I think I think you're right. It needs to be more automated and softwareized, and I think we're working on that. But I think we we what we what we want to achieve is something that's even more scalable. You know, how can we big build things even quicker, you know. Uh, I think when the world, when in, in the 400 gig world, where 400 gig Ethernet is pretty similar on the wave side as it is on the IP side, I think that, you know, the IP over DVDM that we've talked about forever, uh, at least in the metro area, that's going to happen right now. And that means you can turn up traffic so much quicker uh, between sites that needs quicker and, and, and a lot of traffic at the same time at a very quick pace. That's dramatically going to change the way we build networks in metro areas. And of course, that's going to spill over in the long haul over, over time. Uh, and I think we're going back to more of this point-to-point, -point, super quick, fast turn up instead of super long coherent routes mm. that we also need. But, but I think there are different ways we're going to build the networks in the future. And then, of course, I think all of us starting to think about, you know, we can't be dependent on single vendors or, or stuff like that, you know, and, and we also, I don't know if we're going to do it really, but the feeling is we almost have to check the supply chain of our vendors, you know, so that they don't at the end of the day buy the same components from the same component makers somewhere in Asia. And, and I think, you know, we were surprised when some people said, you know, we don't have that component and someone else said, you know, ah, oh, we're buying the same component. 
we thought we had two different suppliers <laughs> in the end they were both reliant on the same underlying supplier oh that's a quick interest uh, quick follow-up on that and then i'll i'll uh, I'll, uh, uh kelsey will get the last question but the the so you've had situations where there's been you, you you thought you had supplier diversity, but you only had it at like the system level and not at the like the circuit board or the exactly. uh, component level. Exactly. You know, we thought you know oh, we can always order that stuff from them instead. So let's not worry here. But then when they also come back and give us the same reasoning why they can't deliver, then it's like oops. Yeah. Uh, we weren't really aware of this, <laughs> which we shouldn't be because it's kind of. <laughs> up to them how they stitch their stuff together and, and so on but uh, that's some of the learnings that we found out that we really never thought of right yeah oh, it's interesting um switching gears a little you also recently wrote a blog about um hybrid networking can you tell us a little bit what you mean by that what telia carrier's approach to hybrid networking is no i think i think i think People say, you know, Estevan is going to control the world and the old world is gone. <laughs> I don't think really. I think there are certain things in the old world that MPLS does really well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think in the end of the day, when I look at the cost we have in our network, typically the cost we have is the cost of the access. You know, you need to buy the last mile from someone. The rest is our network. So therefore, you know, when people say that MPLS is expensive and Estevan is cheap, then it's really up to us to decide that, you know, it's the same local tails they use. So mm-hmm. why? That doesn't need to be like that. I think service providers have fooled customers so many years now that, you know, uh, there is a huge cost of producing MPLS services, blah, blah, blah. Mm, yeah. <laughs> it's kind of up to us what type of profit we want to make and so on. And therefore, I think, you know, a combination of MPLS to some destinations and, you know, local access straight into the internet for cloud applications in some other places. So therefore, I think going forward, I, you can't go to an enterprise and say, you know, you need to go 100% SD-WAN because MPLS is stupid. No, it's not. A combination, <laughs> a hybrid of both is, is probably the ideal choice. I'm trying to think of how to like make that into a headline, like MPLS is stupid, blah, blah, blah. That connection-oriented stuff worked for a reason. I mean, right. it was, you know... Maybe there's stuff that runs at you know at a uh, that's easier to set up and runs at a different margin structure, but um, but it, that doesn't mean that the underlying tech didn't work or didn't have, I guess its its own characteristics to it. No, absolutely. And then there's absolutely parts of your private traffic that you want to keep on the MPLS level because the the risk of that getting somewhere else is is very low. So. Uh, I fully agree with people that want to do that still. All right, people, don't like... don't throw out your MPLS uh, uh, just yet. Uh, yeah. Maybe maybe think about it a little bit. <laughs> it does seem like the um, conversation has shifted from, like you said, SDN is going to rule the world to there's this um, you know combination or happy medium between SDN and and MPLS. So yeah, I think so. Let's leave it there for now. I think that's a, a, a good amount of time. Um, and uh, uh, thanks so much, uh, Matthias Friedstrom, for uh, being on the Light Reading Podcast. Good to see you again. Good to yeah, have you thank here. You very much.
that is it. That's our show. This podcast is produced by the Light Reading Video team, Tian Fu and Pierre Landrio. Thank you, boys, for doing what you do. We do appreciate it. You will find this and all of our other past episodes by visiting www.lightreading.com slash lrpod. That's lightreading.com slash lrpod. Or you can subscribe to the podcast in your favorite podcasting app. Uh, Overcast, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, SoundCloud, etc., etc. Thank you very much for listening to the Light Reading Podcast. Thanks to Avast for their sponsorship this week. Avast's award-winning security solutions make it easy for your customers to stay safe online, no matter how many devices they use. Learn more at avast.com partners. That's A-V-A-S-T dot partners.